is so true. And that's really kind of the theme of our, our study in the book of Joshua. We're taking a look at promises um, that God made. God made, in fact, it's called the promised land. Because God made a promise to Abraham. And that that land would be their land. And now in this portion of scripture, it's when they're standing at the, the very edge of the promised land. They've wandered 40 years. Their parents have all died. Their parents, they came back with a bad report. At least 10 of them did. And uh, the whole crowd of them joined in and said, we cannot take what God has already given to us. And that's the, the challenge now that they're facing as they head toward the, you know, the promised land themselves. Are they going to be like their parents or are they going to receive everything that God has given to them? And I say God has given to them because that's really the promise. The interesting thing about the promise is God says to them, listen, I've given you this land. It's a past tense. I've given you. I'm not, it's not I'm going to give you. I've already given it to you. But now, take it. Take what I have given you. So in other words, all they have to do is do, follow the Lord in this, and everything that God has promised will be theirs. And we relate that to our own lives. There are 7,000 promises in the Bible. 7,000. And the Bible says, you know, the, the promises of God are yes and amen to those who believe. So these promises that God has given, the, the majority of them are promises with a premise. They, God says, okay, if you do this, this is what you get. And so we look at those and, and oftentimes... Well, let's face it, most of the promises of God are left on the table in most of our lives. We never, we never get what God has already promised for us to have. And it's not because God is not willing. I mean, he's already said, I, I want you to have it, it's yours. And he says, if you'll go through and take what I've given you, then you'll, you know, you'll, you'll possess those promises, they'll be yours. But for, sometimes it's because of fear. We're not willing to go for, forward. That's what the children of Israel had as they looked at the inhabitants of the lands. And their fear turned fearful people, people who were themselves fearful of them because they saw what God did through, through them or for them in Egypt. And they were fearful the first time around and they didn't see that, they saw giants. Because they had fear, they saw normal, scared people as giants instead of simply humans that, that God had said and God had, had a, was done with the Canaanites. Their, their evil practices, their killing of their own babies and their children and sacrificing them for years and years and years. Generations of such evil, God says, I'm done with them. So... He brings the children of Israel back to the land now. Their parents have all died in the wilderness. And, and now there's a change going on because, excuse me, each of them has um, had it in some ways, God's really taken care of them. Their face should be up because of that, that they've, God has taken care of them. They have not had to farm. They didn't have to go hunting. Food was laid out every morning for them. And uh, it, you know, it might have gotten monotonous. I don't know. But in fact, I know it did because at one time they wanted some meat and they wanted some changes. But everything they needed was provided for them. The other thing was God sustained them. The scripture says that as they were in the wilderness for those 40 days, that even their their sandals didn't wear out. Their clothes didn't wear out. God provided for them in, in sustaining ways, which is interesting. God has a way of doing that too. You know, 
there's a lot of ways in which God provides for us. Maybe the toaster goes a little bit longer than it should, or you get, you know, you get past 200,000 miles on your car, or whatever. You know, the TV lasts longer than it, than it should, and you'd rather it blew up because you really want a bigger one. But, I mean, all of those things are, you know, the, God has a way of sustaining us when we're following after him and we're serving him. And, uh, and he just loves to bless us. And that's what you see in this story. Um, God wants to bless the, the people of, of God. God wants to bless them. And he's taking them to the promised land. And things are going to be different. So we, we pick up this story uh, two weeks ago before Father's Day. We ended with the fact that the two spies that went out, not 12 this time, two, come back with a report. Listen, the people here, they're, they're so afraid. They, would, they, they wouldn't even really be able to defend their, themselves. Um, we can take the land. And so now Joshua's ready to do and to take the, peop- take the people in, into the promised land. Now, in, in this story... The relationship is this in our lives. And we've said this already, but I want to just hone in on it. There are promises God has given you. They're yours. They're yours. And crossing over the Jordan is the first step of getting into and receiving the promises of God. Now, crossing the Jordan for us is a type. In fact, the Bible says that all these things of the Old Testament were written for our admonition and our learning. And so these things were written with principles involved for our learning now in the New Covenant. And so in the Old Covenant, they, as they went into Promised Land, they crossed over the Jordan. For us as followers of Christ, that Jordan River represents water baptism. Say, Rick, are you saying water baptism saves us? No, 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 no. Salvation comes by purely the grace of, of God in Jesus Christ through the shed work of Jesus on the cross when he died for our sins. He was buried and, and rose again. Nothing else. But faith that saves is faith that will get baptized. Say it that way. If, if you have faith enough to believe that Jesus died for you, then you will have faith enough to take the very first step that Jesus asks us to take when we get saved, and that is to be baptized in water. That's the very first step. It's the first step of faith. And you need to respond because as you do that, you enter into, see, as they crossed over into the promised land, now they, they see the, the, they're going to experience the vistas of blessing that God has for them and the challenges that they will face. And they will face challenges too, and it'll be difficult times ahead of them. But the, the, God is going to bless them in the, in the process. So it says... So Joshua gets a good report, goes to bed in the morning. Here it is, verse 1, chapter 3. Then Joshua rose early in the morning. Why does it say that? Because Joshua was excited. God had given them land. They know now that they're going to go forward. And Joshua rises early in the morning. You know, the Bible says, early in the morning, the psalmist says, early in the morning, I will rise up and seek you, Lord. You're first, putting God, coming to God first, rising early to seek God. Whatever your early is, early is different to different people, right? I mean, some of you are afternoon early. And, uh, but whatever your early is, the point is that you rise up ready to meet not only the day, but ready to meet God. It was Spurgeon who said this, I... I, I will never look into the eyes of another human being until I've looked into the eyes of Jesus. He says, I will start my day first and foremost engaged with Jesus. That's a good way to start your day. And so 
Joshua rises early in the morning. They set out from Acacia Grove and came to the Jordan. He and all the children of Israel and lodged there before they crossed over. So now they're getting ready to go over and he is going to give them some instruction that is crucial for them not only to get over the Jordan, but to, to have the right attitude when they go into the promised land to get the promises that God has for them. Okay? And I think we can learn from this. So he says this, it says this, um, so it was after three days that the officers went through the camp. Isn't it interesting how this three days keeps showing up? We talked about a couple weeks ago, it keeps showing up at different points. Three days, three days, three days. You'll see that in scripture. And oftentimes you just wonder, why is it that it doesn't just say, you know, a couple days? Why does it give us the exact, and why is it always three days? Why, why does it take three days? Why not four days, not two days? Why is that? I'll tell you why. Because the Holy Spirit wants us to keep being reminded of the three days. The three days. Jesus died, was buried, and rose on the third day. And that third day for us is a, that, that day is the most important day because that's the day that death was, was destroyed and defeated in Jesus Christ. And it's also the day for us when we accept Christ that we too, I, in identification with Christ, rise ourselves from the grave. And we are risen because of him. Not going to be risen. We will be risen. But we are risen in Christ. Because we've been unified with the, with the one who rose from the dead. And so, he says, they, they commanded the people saying, when you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God, the priests and Levites bearing it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. So, he says, you're going to go, when you see the ark moving, follow it. Now, the ark represents the presence of the Lord. In fact, that's what it was. The ark was the place in which God manifested his presence. God's everywhere. But he manifested his presence it, there. So they could see God. There was a special uh, uh, um, uh, sense of God's nearness and presence. And it was powerful. And it was dangerous. It was powerful and dangerous. It was dangerous in this sense that the holiness of God was there. And not anyone could just approach the holiness of God. And so there was a distance. You'll notice it says, and there shall be a space between you and it about 2,000 cubits by measure. That's about 1,000 yards, about a little over three football fields. Um, that that there is to be a distance between them. Now, there's a practical reason for that because if everybody crowded around the, the ark, the ark not only couldn't move, but people couldn't see the ark from a distance. So, you know, just, a, just practically it was there, but that wasn't the real reason. I think there are two really important things. One is it was a reminder of the awesomeness of God. The distance was a reminder to them, listen, you don't just approach God in kind of a haphazardly way. And because he's, he's the almighty God, he's the holy God. And, and you, you approach him understanding who he is, the almighty holy God. But, but also, it's, you'll notice it says this. Do not come near it that you may know the way by which you must go, for you have not passed this way before. So you're supposed to follow, you're supposed to follow the ark. The ark is the Lord. The ark represents God. It is the Lord. I mean, the presence of the Lord is there. And you're to follow wherever he goes. He says, and he uses this phrase, because you have never passed this way before. I, I think we could all say that. You've never passed this way before. You're facing things today that you've never faced before. You're experiencing things today that you've never experienced before. 
I said this, my kids, in fact, I remember reading the scripture. This became a uh, kind of a theme for a while in my life. And I said, Lord, I need you because I've never passed it. When, when, when our kids were growing up, especially when they hit teenagers, I said, you know, I've never passed, I've, I've, never, I've, never, I've never parented a 15-year-old before, my first 15-year-old. Never done it. I've parented kids up to 15, but never a 15-year-old. Then when the second one, I said, I never parented this 15-year-old <laughs> before. And that was true of every single one of them. They're all different, right? And so each, every day there's, and what, what he's saying is, you've never gone this way before, so you better follow him. And that is truly a message for us. This day you've never gone this way before. This is all new. Every day's new. So you better follow him today because there's promises available to you, but you have to follow them. See, nobody, nobody's supposed to kind of go, you know, I think I'm going to go swim across that river right now. I think I'll get ahead of everybody. Nobody's supposed to do that. You wait till God does what he needs to do. You follow him. You make choices based upon what he wants you to do. Now, there's a whole lot to learn about following the Lord and seeing God. And some of you might be saying, people will ask, well, how do you hear God? How do, how do you know when God's speaking? And I can't really tell you other than what I do know is the Bible's God's word. So I have that and that's clear. But as far as hearing God, I can just say that you know that you know. And the question really isn't, how do I know? How do I know is not the question. The question is, will you go? See, it's not a question of, of, of how. It's a question of will. It's not a knowledge, do I, what do I know? It's a matter of will. It is always a matter of will. If you will to follow the Lord, you will hear his voice. He will guide you. He promises to guide you. And he says, my sheep hear my voice and they follow. And the even lambs learn early on how to hear the voice of the Lord and follow. And you will if you choose to do what God's will. If you desire God's will, I can only tell you this, if you really desire God's will, you will be in God's will because he will guide you. Now, he doesn't, at least for me, he doesn't tell me every little step along the way. He didn't tell me what socks to put on this morning, a shirt. Probably would have had me dress differently, but um, hopefully not a robe or something. But, but the point is, he doesn't, he, he does, he's not going to tell you every step, but he will tell you. He'll tell you when, when you need to hear. He'll tell you what you need to hear. He'll tell you when you need to, to move and when you need to stop. He'll give you that direction if you're willing to do. It's always, it's always about the will. Do you will to do his will? Then you will know. And so that if, if the will is there, God will guide you. And even if, because your will is there, if you, if you go, I really, if you really want to do God's will and you make a mistake, God will fix it. Do you understand? It's not, God's not just going, oh, boy, you blew it there. You know, that was a terrible mistake. You were supposed to turn left on that light, not right. You know, God, God is going to get you where he wants you to go, even if you make mistakes, because you will to do his will. And so he, he says to them, I want you to follow. They follow from a distance. But, but a distance isn't, listen, that kind of changed. Not kind of, that, that, there was a change. In fact, 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 15 says this. Which he, meaning Christ, will, will manifest 
in his own time, he who is, is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, dwelling in unapproachable light. He has his unapproachable light. So this light, in fact, if you were to get, in fact, into the presence of the Lord, the Lord in that way, in that unapproachable light, you could not survive. Notice it says, whom no man has seen or can see, to whom be honor and everlasting power. Amen. So when he had them stay at a distance, remember, the only the, only the, uh, the, the high priest could get into the Holy of Holies, into the presence of the Lord, when the tabernacle was established and the, it wasn't moving and the presence of the Lord would come down, only the high priest once a year. And that, there, there was, his life was at risk when he did that. But he had all kinds, of, all kinds of ceremonial cleansings and so forth for him to be able to get into at least a, a level of the presence of the Lord. But even him could not see the full glory of God and survive because the Bible says that. But notice what it says in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 13. But now, everybody say but now. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were fought far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. You were far off. You should have been far off. Now you're brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. You can go into the Holy of Holies. The, 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 the barrier has been rent from top to bottom. And you can go right in. That's what happened on the cross when Jesus said it is finished. That that barrier between that curtain that was between the holy and ho holy place and and uh, the holy of holies and it just was rent so that you could have access yourself to the presence of God so we can go in and have present to the presence of God anytime and commune with him and be in love with him and he is your he can be your friend he can be the lover of your soul he is such an amazing savior but in all of that, never forget that he's the one who lives in unapproachable light. He is the one who is the almighty creator of the universe. So as we understand him as our dearest friend, don't lose sight of the fact that he is the holy, omnipotent, all-powerful God, always. That balance, that balance is the right balance in your relationship with God. It's a balance of intimacy and awe and wonder. So Joshua 5, verse 5 says, um, Joshua said to the people, sanctify yourself for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. What is he doing? He's giving them an anticipation of faith. We're, God's going to do some wonders. God's going to do some great things. So, are you ready? Are you? Are you ready? Are you ready for God to do some great things? Are, are, do you anticipate God working in your life? Do you anticipate? Or do you just kind of think it's going to be ho-hum, everything's going to be the same? Listen, your anticipation allows God to work in your life in dynamic ways. That's why he's building that anticipation. Why? Because we have a great God. If God is great, then we can probably expect that God will do great things. And he has more than proved himself, and he certainly is always looking for opportunities to work through us in our life if we're available to him. So we should have that same anticipation. God is going to do something great. I hope you have that anticipation when we come to church. You go, I have anticipation that God is going to do something. God is going to speak to me. God's going to minister to my life. I come with anticipation in, in that, you know? Come with anticipation. Come with anticipation that, that, you know, say, Pastor's going to have a great message. Just come with that anticipation. And, uh, you know, because God can do miracles. You never know. So, just come with that, you know, I, I believe God is going to speak. I believe God's, because when you live in anticipation, in faith, 
Not just good, not just good feelings, not just positive thinking. I'm not talking about, you know, positive thinking. I'm talking about faith in a God who does great things. And what Joshua is doing is he's trying to lift up their faith and tell them, listen, God's going to do wonders. But notice what he says. And there's, you see two things as he's, he's trying to get them ready. First thing is he tells them, you're going to follow the ark. Don't forget, you're not getting ahead of God. You're going to follow God. Second thing he says, he says to, to them, sanctify yourself. Now, what is sanctify? Well, it's, it means getting rid of all the, the junk. It, that's what it means. Get rid of all the, the garbage in your life. Get rid of all that. Get rid of the sin in your life and follow after the Lord. Because this sin, it keeps you, it keeps you from experiencing all the blessings of God in your life. And some of us have things that have been holding on for a long time and it's comfortable. You've lived in them for so long and yet you know it's a sin. You know it's wrong. You know that you need to be free and you won't take the step to bring you to freedom. And sin, listen, this is how sin works in your life. If, If you engage it and keep doing it, and you allow it to control you, it'll eventually kill you. It kills you physically, spiritually. It'll kill you. That's what, what it does. And, and some of you have gotten into the pace of, well, God just cleanses me. God, God's a good God. The blood of Jesus cleanses me from all, all my sin. That's true. That's true. But if you have an attitude towards sin that's kind of like, well, everybody sins. I have this, you know, sin in my life, but, you know, it's not that bad. And, uh, and I ask God to forgive me. You know, God, hey, could you forgive me of this? And there's no repentance. You'll never be free of it. You'll never be free. The blood of Jesus does cleanse us. But we get our feet dirty, and we need to have our feet washed. Remember when Jesus was with the disciples before he, he went to the cross, and he, he took a basin, he started washing the disciples' feet. And, um, and Peter goes, no, Lord, you can't wash my feet. You know, that's a slave's job. You don't wash my feet. And Jesus said, if I don't wash your feet, you don't have any part with me. And then Peter goes, okay, Lord, give me a bath. I mean, you know, if that's the case, the whole thing. And Jesus goes, no, 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 I'm not going that far. I'm not giving you a bath. He said, but some of you, you're clean, but not all clean. And he talked, referred to Judas Iscariot. But the point is this. The blood of Jesus cleanses us, but we get our feet dirty. And when we, get, when we sin... We need to come. And the Bible says, if you confess your sin, he says, he says, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we bring our dirty feet before Jesus. Knowing that the blood of Jesus cleanses us, we bring it before him because that, that confession is part of the act of, of uh, repentance. And if you do that honestly and brokenheartedly, I guarantee it's not, it's not, the power of God will, will strengthen you. And you might have to do it over and over again. There are things sometimes that people get in, in uh, bondage to that isn't easily broken. But when you brokenheartedly come to God and say, God, and don't stop. Don't stop. Lord, forgive me. Lord, help me. Lord, forgive me. Lord, help me. You'll see, you'll see the power of God break that bondage in your life. But if you don't, well, you'll enter into promised land and the promises, you, you don't really want to go to battle in the promised land without God's blessing and covering in, in your life. You want, to, you want to sanctify yourself before a living God in doing so. So, he, then Joshua spoke 
to the priest saying, take up the Ark of the Covenant and cross over before the people. They took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. And the Lord said to Joshua, this day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel that they may know that I was with Moses as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. Joshua, I'm going to take care of. I've got a calling on your life. Joshua, they're going to follow. You just need to know I'm going to make sure and take care of that for you. Remember when Moses, when the people really accepted Moses as the leader, it wasn't during the plagues. It was after they went through the Red Sea. Then they sang the song of Moses, and there was, there was celebration. But most of all, they actually said this. They said, now we know the Lord, he is God. And we know that Moses is his servant. So we, th- at this point, at the very same kind of miracle. Now a miracle is going to take place like Moses had going through the Red Sea. For Joshua, it's going through the Jordan River. And he says, you shall command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, saying, when you have come to the edge of the water of the Jordan, you will stand in the Jordan. Now that's different. When God brought them through the Red Sea, they were to wait and, and Moses struck out his staff before they would stand in the water. This time, they're to stand in the water. They're to take a step of faith. For them, Moses took the step of faith as he lifted up, you know, the, the, his, uh, his rod. Now, in your life, there are times when others will have faith for you. When we have people come and people get prayed for, I, I never demand or say that you have to have faith because the Bible says call for the elders of the church and let them anoint you with oil and pray and the prayer of faith shall heal the sick. So there's a responsibility on leadership to have faith. But there are times in our lives, maybe others might have faith for us, but there's certain kind of miracles that aren't going to happen till you have faith. till you can step, step into the water yourself. A lot of miracles take an act of faith on your part before you're ever going to see the miracle take place. And if you're just waiting for it, when God is asking you to step forward, that miracle is not going to happen. You have to be the person who walks in faith and steps in faith and, and acts in faith in your life. And so Moses is, I mean, uh, Joshua now is telling them to go and step in the water. Go to the edge and stand in the Jordan. So they're standing in the Jordan. And Joshua said to the children of Israel, come here and hear the words of the Lord your God. Joshua said, by this you shall know that the living God is among you and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, the Gergesites, and the Amorites, and the Jebusites. When I got saved, when I came to Christ, I was 19 years old, it seemed like, I mean, not, it seemed like the, the blessing of God was all over. I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't miss. When I prayed, prayers were answered really quick. And I've heard a lot of Christians say, yeah, I, I had that experience too. When I first got saved, it seemed like anything I asked God for, man, it just happened. And then something happened. Then for some reason, it, you know, it wasn't that easy. And what was easy before became harder and I wasn't getting all that. In my life, I, I had mi- miracles, lots of miracles. I had dreams. I had visions. I uh, stories. In fact, the miracles we've had, in fact, in all of my life, I've had so many. I mentioned this first service that I, I could write a book just of the miracles that I've seen in my life. What a, a gift God has given in that. But I tell you what, there are seasons when it, there wasn't much happening. There were seasons. And I always had, well, he did it before. He did it before. He did a miracle here. He did a miracle there. See, God was going to do something so that children of Israel, when they got into the promised land, and they're battling, and things aren't looking, they're challenged, and sometimes even don't look good, they can go back and say, the God 
who brought me through the Jordan River is a God who said he'll stand with me now. And I believe he's standing with me now. Some of you need to go back to times when you know God was moving in your life and say, the God that was with me there is with me now. Even if I'm not experiencing the same operation, even if I'm not seeing the miracles visibly yet, he's still there. It's the same God. He's the same miracle-working God. And, and so Joshua is telling them, listen, you're going to have a memory that's going to carry you through all the challenges you're going to face in the future, that God is able and God is willing. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is crossing over before you into, into the Jordan. Therefore, take for yourselves 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one man from every tribe, and it shall come to pass as soon as the soles of the feet of the priests who bear the ark of the Lord and the Lord of all the earth shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, that the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off, the waters that come down from upstream, and they shall stand as a heap. Now that's different, because when they went to the Red Sea, the waters went this way. This time, God's cutting cutting off the water. Of course, if you're in the sea, it's a little bit different. But in the river, he's cutting off the river upstream. And he says, so it was when the people set out from their camp to cross over the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people. And as those who bore the Ark came to the Jordan and the feet of the priests who bore the Ark dipped in the edge of the water for the Jordan River overflows all its banks during the whole time of harvest. Now the Jordan River can get up to a mile wide. Now if you go to Israel now, you'll think that thing isn't that huge. It's not that big of a river. Um, there's some places where it gets a little bit wide. But see, they've kind of, it, it's a shadow of its old self. Because now, of all the irrigation and things, they really have drained that, the, the river. But back in that day, and especially during harvest time, it always overflowed. And it was, and it would be um, really covering the banks. It's, this is a wide river. It says that the, ri- that the waters which came down from upstream stood still rose into a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zeratat. So the waters that went down into the Sea of Arabat, the Salt Sea, failed and were cut off, and the people crossed over opposite Jericho. And we know where they crossed over. We know that the city was about eight, eight, 18 miles. We don't know about Adam. We just know that Adam was beside Zeratan, and it could be between 18 and I think 38 miles upstream where the river was cut off. That's interesting. Well, it's more than interesting because how long does it take water from the river to come down 18 miles or 38 miles? Whatever the length. How, how long does that take? It takes a while. It isn't like, it's not, it's not shooting at 100 miles an hour. It's cruising down. And as that water comes. So here's the point. The priests step in to the water and the water opens up. But hours earlier, God had to cut off the water for it to happen exactly when the priests crossed over. How did he know when? The same way he knows what you're going to pray and starts to answer the, your prayer before you even speak it. That's how. He's a God who knows what you need before you ask. And the Bible says he answers before we ask. But we have to ask. Because if you don't ask, there's no before you ask. For there to be a before you ask, you have to ask. But God knows. And he sends the answer and he cuts off the waters hours before 
And sometimes in our lives, it's days and weeks and months and years where he has set up an answer to your prayer before you even knew he was at work. He's at work for you. He's on your side. He wants to answer all those promises that he gave. Those promises are still yours. Even when you, you make a mistake, and we'll find a lot of mistakes that the children of Israel will make as they're going into promised land, they'll make mistakes. They'll, they'll, they'll rebel at times. They'll do things that, but it doesn't stop. God's promise is still there. God still says the land is yours. The promises of God are still yours. You haven't ended the potential. You just have to cross over and keep going. You have to look at the ark ahead of time. You see where he's going and follow him. And follow him. You wake up in the morning in practical terms. You wake up in the morning and you go, good morning, Lord. This is a good day to follow after you. I choose you today. I choose to follow you today. I don't know what all that means, Lord, but wherever you want to take me, I just say in advance, yes. You don't have to ask. I'm already telling you, yes. Let's go. Whatever you have. You start your day with anticipation and faith that God's going to do a great thing. God's going to do good things in your life. And even today, you might not see the miracle. You might not see it today. But the roof has already been cut off. And you just haven't seen it yet. It's coming. And you need to have the faith and anticipation of what God's promised to you. What his promises are. Now some of you don't even know what those promises are. And that's okay. You can learn. Every time you read your scripture, look for a promise. You, 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 hopefully you read the Bible every day. And every day you will come across, just about every day you'll come across some promise in the Bible. Underline it. Make note. Take those promises to your heart. Promises for you, for your family, for your, 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 your friends, for your neighborhood. Promises for your future. Promises about his freedom and deliverance and strength and all those promises. You take those promises. They're yours. They're yes and amen to those who believe. But you have to start at the starting point. And if you've not done that, that's where you begin. You be, here's the starting point. It's the acknowledgement that you need a Savior because you are a sinner. And if you don't think you're a sinner, you don't know what sin is. Sin is everything that displeases God, and it's not just actions. You know, you, you, don't have to be, you don't have to have killed someone to be a sinner. You've just done something that God is not pleased with. Things that you need to get out of your life, and for Christians even, you have to get things out of your life. I, I was watching a, a video. In fact, I'm, I didn't realize time went fast. Um, so I'll have to kind of end it with this. Um, I was watching this video, and these, the, there was a guy who put on, you know, dark glasses and had a, cane, a white cane like he was blind. And he'd walk around, and he'd, sometimes he had, um, like, Apple computers still in their box. And other times he had um, cell phones, stacks, still in their box. And he'd walk, and then he'd trip. And then people would help him. And he'd trip with four boxes, and he'd be given back three. And pe people would, oh, he's, he's blind. And, they'd, and it was amazing because it was one after another, after another, after another, after another. It's like, that's stealing. Right? But everybody steals. Isn't that right? Everybody lies. Isn't that right? Listen, lying is lying. Lying is lying. Lying is a sin. Why? Because God is God of truth. He doesn't lie. God never lies. 
I know this one. I'm, I'm hitting some of you right now. Lying is a sin. You're not supposed to lie. You don't lie. You take the consequences of not lying. So if you're in a situation where lying can get you out, but telling the truth might cost you, you take what it costs you because you don't lie. You set that as a standard for your life. Say, well, that's different. Yeah, you'll be way different. You'll be way different than the world you live in. You'll be way blessed. Because you speak the truth. And that's true about all sin. And you choose to set those things aside. But we've all sinned. And so we all need a Savior. So that's where it starts. Start by acknowledging you need God to forgive you of your sin. And you recognize that Jesus, who loves your soul, died on the cross for your sins. He was buried. He took your place. And he rose again from the dead, conquered death. Took your sin upon himself. So if you receive him as your Savior, he connects with you and joins with you by his Holy Spirit. And that which he de- did is, a, is a, ascribed to your life. In other words, it's as if you died and the consequences of your sin have already been paid, paid for in Jesus Christ. So you simply say, Jesus, I receive you as my Savior. I ask you to come in my life. I believe that you died for me, you were buried, and you conquered death. And I ask you to cleanse my soul from all of my sin. Today, I choose you, Jesus, as my Savior and my Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 Are you guys ready to worship the Lord? Let's do that. Cause we were 